Would you stand with me for the reading from Matthew chapter 10, verses 34 to 39, and as we turn to that uh, place in the Bible, Matthew chapter 10, let us bow our heads and pray and ask for God's help as we study His Word now. Fathers, we come to Your Word, we pray that You would give us great joy in discovering the words of life here. Please, would you move by your Holy Spirit, open up your word to us, and open up our hearts to your word. Help us to remove any distractions, help us to come with a sense of expectancy. Would you speak to us now, in Jesus' name, amen. So, my friends, Matthew chapter 10, verse 34 to 39, I'll begin reading at verse 34. Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father, and a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me, and whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me, and whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. This is the word of the Lord. Do please sit down. Well, let me uh, just begin by saying uh, a word of greeting uh, to add to the greetings you've already had this morning. And also, just as we uh, begin to look at this, uh, this part of the Bible together uh, now, just to say, though it may seem a little strange, uh, I am actually very much looking forward to studying this part of the Bible with you. Uh, it, uh, this passage perhaps seems a little somber. Uh, it may even seem a, a little threatening, perhaps. Uh, Jesus talks about a sword. And yet, when this passage is rightly understood... What we discover is that he is teaching us that sacrifice for his sake is good. And that, it seems to me, is one of the most important lessons that a Christian can learn. It's so easy, isn't it, for us to think that giving up things for Jesus is... A little disappointing. Perhaps we know we have to. You may have heard of the story of Mother Teresa when she was on, a, uh, uh, on her donkey somewhere, perhaps apocryphal story. And she uh, was thrown off uh, this donkey into the, into the mud beneath, a muddy pool. And uh, she got up and looked up at heaven and said, God, if that's how you treat your friends, it's no wonder you have so few. And perhaps it's easy for us to think similarly. We have given so much to Jesus, many of us here. 
Or perhaps you are thinking, am I really going to follow Jesus? Not just nominally, but actually. And you look at the specter of what that might mean, the sacrifice, and it's easy to be put off and say, well, actually, perhaps I'll just go through the motions with Jesus. As I say, I think this is a key lesson about what it means to follow Jesus. That is, sacrifice for Jesus is good. It's not going to be a bad experience for you. It's going to be a good experience. It's not going to be a negative experience for you. It will be a positive experience. It will not detract from your life. It will give you life. And, uh, of course, uh, the last verse here that Jesus uh, speaks in verse 39, which is the principle behind his teaching here, to emphasize how much this is an important lesson for those of us who follow Jesus to take on board and really put into practice. To emphasize that, this phrase of Jesus's, in one rendition or another, is actually the most quoted phrase of his in the Bible. It occurs twice in Matthew's gospel, twice in Luke's, once in Mark's gospel, and once in John's gospel. This is clearly important. And what's more, it's not easy for us to understand it. Uh, Jesus begins, doesn't he, with a correction. Do not think that. In other words, it would be very easy for us to think the opposite or different from what he is saying here, which is that sacrifice for Jesus' sake is good. Now look down with me now at the passage, and Jesus here is basically explaining this point that sacrifice for his sake is good in two ways. The first way is in verses 34 to 36, and there he explains that sacrifice for him is good Because this is right at the heart of his core purpose. It is why he has come. And he says that three times. I have come for this reason. I have not come for that reason. Twice in verse 34. Once in verse 35. So sacrifice for Jesus' sake is good, he is saying. Because that is right at the heart of why he came. It's integral to his mission. And then the second half of the passage from verse 37 to 39, you can see there that Jesus is saying that sacrifice for his sake is good because that is the way to find life. Now, if you want a summary of the message this morning, you could not do better than uh, remembering or learning the famous words of one of Wheaton College's own sons. Perhaps even in your mind, they are coming uh, to the forefront right now. He is no fool who gives up that which he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. The words of Jim Jim Elliot, martyr and missionary. Now, is that really the case, or is that just something that people put on their walls as a nice religious saying, or is that actually true to life 
and what it means to follow Jesus. Is this really the case that sacrifice for Jesus is good? It's a good thing, not a bad thing. It will add to your experience of life. It will give you life, not detract from it. Well, let's look at this together then, my friends. So verse 34 begins the first point, which is sacrifice for Jesus is good because that is why he has come. And so he starts, doesn't he, by saying, do not think, therefore it would be easy perhaps to think the opposite of what he is saying here, do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. Now that is a very strange thing for Jesus to say. After all, Jesus is called sometimes the Prince of Peace. And was it not announced at his birth that peace on earth will come? So what kind of peace is this that Jesus is saying that he has not come to bring? This is not peace with God, which Jesus has come to bring. He has come to bring peace on earth in that sense, reconciliation between us and God, that eternal peace, that internal peace that means that Christians can be at peace even when there is trouble in this world. That peace Jesus has come to bring and he's given many of us and it is on offer again this morning. But the kind of peace that Jesus is clarifying that he has not come to bring is the kind of religious ease that so many say he has come to bring. So many preach like this, don't they? Come to Jesus and you will have a perfect life. You will have tranquility. Nothing or very little will go wrong. But that is not the case, Jesus is saying. He has not come to bring tranquility comfort, an easy life. He has come to give us something far better. But on this mission that Jesus is now giving to us, as he was giving to the early apostles in this commissioning chapter 10, as he commissions the 12 apostles and calls them to his mission, he now in these verses is clarifying that when we follow Jesus and further his mission, it will require sacrifice. What kind of sacrifice does he mean? Well, he says, I've not come to bring peace, but a sword. What does that mean? Well, then he tells us in verses 35 to 36. This sword is not a physical sword. Jesus is not talking about military, uh, a military sword. The word here is used in Ephesians six seventeen of the sword of the Spirit. Jesus here clarifies that the sword he means is metaphorical and it means the division that can take place between those who truly follow Jesus and those who do not, even when they are members of his own household. And of course, this is not a discouragement for those of us who follow Jesus. It is a great encouragement for we know it is the case. When we truly follow Jesus, people will not applaud. They will tell you, well done, when you do good things and you feed the poor or you encourage the oppressed. But once you are in Christ, because many people are opposed to the rule of Christ, 
They will not applaud you for that, though they may applaud you for other things that come from that. And sometimes it is even the case that in our own families uh, there can be opposition. And so Jesus is being real about this. He is not doing it to discourage us or to put us off from following him, but to encourage us, to give us courage and strength. Uh, The the best example I could think of to illustrate this point comes from J.R.R. Tolkien's Lord of the Rings. And if you know the movie, uh, you perhaps will remember this scene or you've read the book. Gandalf and Frodo are talking, Gandalf the wizard, Frodo, who is on a mission, and a very daunting mission it is proving to be. And Frodo is wishing that he had never taken up this mission. He says, I wish I had never received the ring. I wish that these times had never come to me, he says. And Gandalf replies, so do all who live, to, who live to see such times. But it's not ours to decide when we live, it is only ours to decide how to make the most of the times given to us. And of course, Frodo is deeply encouraged. For he realizes, yes, he has been given a mission. Yes, it will cost. And yet, it is a great mission. See, I want you to notice that when Jesus quotes from, uh, in verses 35 and 36, he is quoting from Micah chapter 7, verse 6. It's the second time in this commissioning of the apostles that he is quoted from that chapter. The first was in verse 21. Here he expands that quotation. And so Jesus is saying, as he, the Christ, commissions the apostles... He looks back to one of the great prophets in the Old Testament, Micah. He says he is fulfilling that purpose. And as the words come off the page to us this morning, he's asking us to follow him on that same mission. A great mission. A great purpose that will require great sacrifice at times. And so, as it were, Jesus looks out at his followers, looks out at us Christians, and says, you Christian, if you follow me on this mission that I am laying before you now, you are receiving a Micah-like commissioning, a prophet-like commissioning, an apostle-like commissioning, a christ like commissioning. And yes, that will cost. But it gives us courage to realize the the significance. Wouldn't you be willing to give up a lot to achieve something truly significant? Perhaps you're an athlete. You'll be willing to get up early in the morning and work hard in order to get to the Olympics. You're a businessman. You want to earn a million dollars this year. And you're willing to work hard to get there. Jesus is saying, quoting from Micah, commissioning the apostles, 
clarifying why he has come for the salvation of the world to bring peace in that sense and then telling us that to get there, to follow him, will be sacrifice, but it's going to be good. Now he delves a little bit further in that way in his second point. And so this is now verses 37 to 39, my friends. And as we shift now to the second half of this passage, what I want you to notice is that Jesus, I think, is deliberately focusing the second half of this passage, as it were, on a mirror image of the first. So you can see he says, do not think that I have come, verse 34, I have not come, again verse 34, for I have come, verse 35, and then, for each of those three time repeated clarifications of the purpose of his mission, the sacrifice that it would take, but it's good for that purpose. He now, as it were, looks out at us with a mirror image and three times repeats, worthy of me. In other words, what he's saying is that to follow him, our lives as disciples fit into the same shape as his life. I have come for this, you are going for this, to be worthy of that mission, you see. Now, what does that mean then? Well, as I say, it means life, and Jesus uh, explains that in these ways. So verse 37, whoever loves father or mother more than me, and then he says the same about children, more than me, and I want you simply to notice there that Jesus is not saying that he is against, of course, loving parents or loving children. Uh, The word to underline in your Bibles is the word more. So Jesus is saying he does not want us to love parents or children more than him. In other words, he is not speaking against love for our family. He is speaking against idolatry of the family. Idolatry. Nothing should be a greater love than the love we have for Jesus. This will not diminish your love for your family, it will grow it. As your love, think of it like this, as your love soars higher and higher for Jesus, so your love for your family will grow underneath as well. But of course, if you have an idol of your parents or your children, actually it is damaging And there's so many ways we could apply this teaching of Jesus's to the idolatry of family, most simply, I suppose, to ancestor worship, but also to those in our day who are prevented from following Jesus by what their parents may say or even what their parents may threaten them with in certain cultures. That's fairly obvious, but I also think psychologically it is easy for us to so honor our parents or even so adore our children that somehow they take pride of place. And Jesus is saying that for us to truly and for their best love our family, his love is to be more than that, more. In fact, the way to have a healthy family life a healthy marriage, healthy um, 
training of children is to have the love of God right at the heart. And many of us have experienced that, haven't we? So Jesus is calling us to life in that sense, in the life of the family. And then he comes to this verse, verse 38. Whoever does not take his cross, or take up his cross, take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Again, the shape. I have come for this. What has Jesus come for? He has come to give his life on the cross for the salvation of many, to bring peace between us and God. Peace in that sense. And then he looks out and says, worthy of me, that is same shape, we also take our cross. Now, what does it mean to take up your cross? The word and phrase is often used in culture, you know, this is a cross that I have to bear. And usually we mean that to indicate something like, this is a difficulty which I have to get through. This is my cross that I have to bear. But appropriate as that is, here Jesus doesn't mean just that. Here's the shape. Jesus has come for this purpose, to give his life sacrificially for the salvation of the world. We have the same shape. As he took his cross, so we take our cross Why did Jesus go to the cross? To save people. What does it mean for us to take the cross? It means to give our lives for the progress of the gospel. So your cross is not a minor irritation. Your cross is the person that you are discipling. It's the prodigal son that you are praying for and trying to reach. Your cross is serving (laughs) for the progress of the gospel in whatever context. That's your cross. And Jesus is saying, followers of him have that shape. As he is on mission for that purpose. So all followers of Jesus, whether full-time Christian workers, whether old or young, all are driven by that desire to see people come to know him. And yes, that will cost, but it is certainly something that is good. So he's saying, take your cross in that sense. That is, go on mission, serve in kids' harbor. (laughs) Serve as a pastor or whatever context it may be. And then we come to this most profound of verses. As I say, the most quoted phrase of Jesus is in the Bible. And so it is good for us to try and understand it, isn't it? And so verse 39 goes like this, doesn't it? Whoever finds his life will lose it. Strange phrase. And then he carries on. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. What is Jesus saying here? This, is this a paradox? 
Is this a religious conundrum? Find, lose, lose, find. No, it is not a paradox in the sense of a religious conundrum. Jesus explaining the real benefit, the true results of this sacrificial following of him. Same shape as he has in our lives. This is what truly takes place. My understanding of this verse is drawn from Jonathan Edwards, and his understanding of it was actually drawn from his grandfather, Solomon Stoddard. And I think uh, they both got it right. Uh, They weren't correct about everything, as no human is, but I think they were right about this, and Edwards about many other things. What they both said was this, that in my summary of their understanding of it, uh, like this. Originally, ourselves, our life, our souls, different uh, words that are used to explain the same teaching. Ourselves, our souls, our life. Originally, ourselves were orientated towards God so that we found perfect self fulfillment in obeying God. But when sin entered the world, when rebellion entered the world, then that self believed that it could find self-fulfillment in what I call, my phrase, the selfish self. And that's where everyone is naturally. However nice they appear, all of us naturally outside of Christ are thinking that self-fulfillment comes from the selfish self. What Jesus is saying when he says you've got to lose your life to find it, he's saying that selfish self must be denied. That selfish self must be put to death in order that the Self can find its true fulfillment in obedience to God. Find life. And that's what happens when you become a Christian. That's what happens increasingly when you give up things for Jesus. You walk down the path of life. Your life takes on the same shape of Jesus's, who came not for this reason, but for sacrifice, that we who follow him then are on the same path to the cross. I was thinking what illustration to use to try and explain this to you this morning, and it occurred to me that having begun with one well-known son of Wheaton, Jim Elliott, it would be nice to conclude with another, perhaps even better known son of Wheaton College. That is Billy Graham. I, like most people, have heard Billy Graham preach, you know, most people on the face of the planet, I guess. And, uh, but a year or so ago, I had the privilege of meeting him personally, just a small group of us. And I was struck by many things at that time, but the impression I want to share with you now is this. There's Billy Graham. And we are all listening to what he is about to say. 
and he spends almost the whole time talking about other people. Uh, this fellow, he's done this work in the ministry. This, this man has done this. This woman has done the other. Here is someone, Billy Graham, who has met presidents and preached to more people than anyone in the world before. He could talk about himself. Yet he did not. Struck me reflecting upon that in relation to this passage that there is someone who has found life like few have by giving it away. Giving it away. Every part for Jesus. And I want you to understand this. That when the Bible calls you to give yourself for God, it is not asking you to do something that is bad for you. It's asking you to find life. That thing you gave up 20 years ago for Jesus, don't let that be a cause of bitterness. That very thing is the path to life. That thing that you are considering whether to give up for Jesus or not right now. That very thing will be the path to life. Of course, this is Communion Sunday. The greatest illustration of them all is before us. He died. He rose again. At the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow. Who would have thought that would have been achieved through dying on a bloody cross? Who would think that your life will be found by giving it away? Yet it will. Let's bow our heads together as we come now to the Lord's table. Father, help us to believe the words of your son Jesus on this point, that the way to find life is to give our life for his sake. In the name of Jesus, amen.